Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer Chris Herring. Chris, how are you doing, good sir? I'm all right. Ready to uh, to dig into some Thanksgiving food, as I think a lot of people probably are at this time of year. What is we're recording this on a Wednesday, and I believe this will go out um, on Friday. So, um, as you listen to this, loyal listeners, I will be eating a leftover Thanksgiving sandwich, probably my third or fourth of the afternoon. Um, what is your favorite side, Chris? I love asking people that question. I was having this conversation yesterday. Sides, at least in Black America, uh, the Black America that eats good. Sides are better than the main dishes. Like, of course, turkey is okay. <laughs> turkey can be fine. I mean, it, obviously, if you get someone that can throw down, turkey is really good. But I was having this conversation with my sister. Like, macaroni and cheese is the greatest food known to man, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Known to black man. I don't want to. I don't want to speak for everybody, but I can speak for all black men that macaroni. And okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can be monolithic in that sense. Normally, black people are not a monolith. We're, we're relatively monolithic when it comes to that. Macaroni and cheese is really amazing if and when it's done right. And uh, that's pretty far and away my favorite thing. And then I think sweet potatoes and kind of candied yams are probably my second. I've never liked sweet potatoes. My grandmother used to get very upset because she would make a lot of them. And supposedly they were great. I wouldn't know. I only had it once. Hated it. Sorry. Um, so that's my relationship with sweet potatoes. Love mac and cheese. Uh, stuffing is my favorite, like by far. Interesting. I just, I got you. It's underrated. Stuffing year round. Frankly, I, I don't cause I'm not a weirdo, but absolutely love stuffing. It's undefeated in my opinion. If you're not trying to eat, like when you ask the question of favorite side or favorite part of the meal, if, 
if you're not trying to have the side outside of Thanksgiving, then it's not good or it's not prepared correctly. <laughs> I mean, there's so many options like mashed potatoes, obviously, are another option. Um, you mentioned stuffing. There's mac and cheese. Uh, it's just it's hard to go wrong at a certain point with certain things. But I do always feel guilty because like I've gone to other homes the last few years for Thanksgiving and it's awkward because you get someone and they like make all this food and there's like nine different things. And it's like anytime you've had to be in a room where like you have to act like you're interested in all the options, you go to a college fair and there's all these schools there. I knew when I was in elementary school, I wanted to go to Michigan. So yes, I'll walk over to your booth, you know, such and such community college, but like I'm going to Michigan if they'll have me, I'm going there. And it's like mac and cheese is that way for me when I get to somebody's crib. It's like the other sides and the other foods are there. But I'm like, I have to act interested so I don't offend anybody. But like, that's what I want. Okay. Here I, there. Let's talk I about basketball. That. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, my next question was going to be about Michigan, Ohio State. But we can, we're going to, we're going to discuss that game next week i think obviously. it's probably better that we skip that question for right okay now. Go ahead. <laughs> until we know so, the outcome <laughs> exactly on today's episode we're going to open up the mailbag to talk western conference standings a sixers silver lining the nba's most and least coachable players and more but first a quick reminder to please keep those emails coming in openfloormail at gmail.com that's openfloormail at gmail.com All right, let's dive right in with a wonderful email from Christine, who writes, Hey guys, since we're almost a quarter of the way through the season, it's starting to make more and more sense to analyze the standings. Looking at the Western Conference, there are three runaway favorites, Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah, and a bunch of teams fighting for that last home court spot. My question is, which team do you guys see most likely to grab that fourth spot? And since half of Denver's starting five is injured, should they enter the tanking race before it's too mm-hmm. late? So this wow. is a fascinating question from Christine. And she wrote it um, before P.J. Dozier. As we record P.J. Dozier, it is feared that he has torn Jeez. his ACL. Um, so that just oh. obviously stinks for so many reasons. And um, for basketball reasons, for real life reasons, Hope we hope P.J. Dozier didn't tears ACL as we record this uh there's no there's not been official word but I saw the play live it did not look good so the Nuggets let's start with the Nuggets um Jamal Murray is obviously TBD on a return after tearing his ACL last year Michael Porter Jr. is having this back issue that should really concern the organization given his health history and you know, the contract that he just signed. Also, back injuries are just not fun, and we hope he gets better ASAP. Nikola Jokic has been out uh, for a few games with this wrist injury. It doesn't seem major at all. Uh, P.J. Dozier, as we just mentioned, he's kind of their seventh man right now. Could be out for the rest of the year. The Nuggets have lost five in a row. They're now 9-9. and They're good for... That's good for eighth in the standings in the Western Conference. And they have a negative point differential. So I guess like what I, – I don't think they should tank, of course, because they have no. Nikola Jokic, who's arguably the best player on the planet and having an incredible season. But just what do you – like 
are we giving up on them? Just like, what is, what is your take right now and your feelings on the Nuggets? And can they kind of climb out of the hole that they're in? I mean, so let's rewind a little bit. We go back to not this time last season, but, you know, if we're if we're a quarter of the way through the season almost, we'll, we'll say two-thirds, three-quarters when, when Jamal Murray tears his ACL. Um, the conversation that we were having at that time because they were playing so well when he got hurt and they had just gotten Aaron Gordon, they had won the – what was it, six, seven games in a row after getting him? Mm-hmm. And they were starting to finally, like, you know, people were startly, finally starting to notice that the Nuggets existed. And like, oh, this is actually an interesting team. Oh, this is why people have been talking about Jokic this way. Oh. So when, when up to that point, I think a lot of people had started saying, or at least a lot of people that I really respect, had started to say, you know, watch out for the Nuggets. Like they're they're not they're not even a dark horse at this point. They're just good enough to win this thing. And then Murray gets hurt, and then everybody kind of was depressed for a few days because they're like that killed any shot they had of winning the whole thing. And then they still reeled off like twelve out of fourteen or whatever it was after that. Um, or maybe it was an extension of the streak they're on. I can't remember anymore. But they were still really good. And I say mm-hmm. all that to say this. Um, Jokic by himself can carry them. Now, he's not going to carry them to a championship. And with this many people out, I'm not completely, completely convinced that he easily carries them to the playoffs. Like, if Porter's not going to play another game this season, then I don't know. And granted, Porter had been very ugly to start the year. Um, so it's not to, to say that, you know, the way he was playing is a huge loss for them. But obviously having him mm-hmm. out there and his pacing is helpful. Um, so if we're looking at all the injuries they have, it would be hard to get them to the playoffs anyway. I think Jokic could do it. But if, if you're going to have Jokic back and healthy, I, I think you go for it with the idea that also Jamal Murray might be able to come back at some point. Um, and so really what it turns into me is it kind of reminds me a lot of like, in some ways, Steph last season where he's playing with a group that is, you know, not perfect by any means and not at full strength by any means but also it's just like this guy's got to put his foot on the pedal and go for 40 all the time that might not be Jokic going for 40 but it it could be Jokic going for 28 straight triple doubles or something crazy that you know would be unprecedented and like I think he has the capability of doing that um is it in their best interest to have him do that just to sneak into the playoffs that's maybe the part of the question that Christine's asking but I I don't think I think it's a little premature to talk about tanking unless we're talking about Jokic having a long term injury as well. Yeah, I, I I don't think the tank thing is it's it's way too early for that, and it would be kind of outrageous given just their salary, their payroll, and everything. But yeah. like, obviously, I guess like the flip of that is just when we get to the trade deadline, they're not going to make any moves that are to upgrade in the short term. And I think instead of looking at this as should the Nuggets tank, I think it's just more interesting to wonder what might happen if forever, for whatever reason they miss the playoffs and they get a top 10 pick. Like they have a little bit of luck in the lottery. And then just like thinking about this Nuggets team next year, healthy with a top 10 pick who... I mean, that doubles is just a very attractive trade asset because um, uh, I think they have 
They have a lottery protected first headed to the Thunder next season and a top five protected first going to the Magic in 2025. So they're a little bit short on future assets now. They're clearly trying to win today, given the contracts that they've doled out to Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., etc. So it would just be like kind of fun, I think. I don't know. Like I hope Jokic plays because I love watching him and I love watching the Nuggets when he's on the floor. And when he is on the floor, they're plus 12.6 points per 100 possessions. And when he sits, they're minus 14.6. So... Yeah, like, I kind of just, like, hope they, like, I think the best of both worlds for them is just, like, Jokic plays, they're fun, but they can't quite kind of establish themselves as a as a sturdy playoff team. And then, you know, maybe even you just don't bring Jamal Murray back. There's no pressure to bring him back, and you don't risk any re-injury. You don't risk anything happening long-term with Michael Porter Jr. then either. And you can just kind of put all your chips in for next year with this trade asset or this impact rookie like that's that's fascinating to me and then i would just like pick the nuggets to win the championship next season <laughs> like so that, so that's kind of how i'm looking at where they are right now yeah i, I kind of forgot too that didn't on our nba staff was it two or three people that picked the nuggets to make the the finals um you know they were kind of a i think for a lot of people a dark horse pick to do that anyway so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think you raise a good point that is it even in your best interest to bring Murray back if you're fighting to get into the playoffs? I imagine Murray will want to. doesn't necessarily make it a good reason to throw him out there. It's really hard. Historically, there aren't that many people that have come back and been super impactful for a long stretch during mm-hmm. a playoff run, which is what that would be, uh, presumably so, um, or what you would hope it would be. So, I, I yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for the idea of, of chasing – a pick more than chasing a playoff spot. Uh, you know, crazier things have happened, though. You know, uh, I'm curious to see what happens. It, it's not worth it if they're going to be up against a one seed. But if, you know, I don't know. The, the, the After the first three spots in the West, it's kind of weird anyway. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that. So depending on who you would draw or who you think you would draw in that first round, it could be worth it. We'll see. It'll be interesting. You're leading us right into the other part of Christine's question, which is really interesting. Um, I guess, like, you know, on the matter of, first of all, do you agree that the Warriors, Suns, and Jazz are kind of, it's just set in stone, assuming good health, that they're going to finish in some order, one, two, three, in the Western Conference? Yeah, I think that those three teams probably do finish one, two, three, in some order. I don't think we know yet whether it'll be the Warriors one or the Suns. They're really not that much of a separation right now. What I would say is that I think after that, like Christine is suggesting, uh, it could be anybody, really. I mean, I won't say draw them out of a hat. I do think there's more of a likelihood that the Clippers probably finish four or the Clippers or the, the Mavs. I don't see the Nuggets. I In a normal situation, would say by far the Nuggets – look like the four spot, you know, just because I think that they've got maybe the most continuity and, and, you know, high level continuity. Yeah. So, but but, but Chris, 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 real quick. So before we get into the specific teams that can um, get the four seed, who are you, who are you counting out already? I think that that's the other part of this because there are a few teams that I don't think we need to like, you know, we'll just say the names of some of the teams that are definitely out, i.e. the Houston Rockets. (laughs) <laughs> but like, but there's a few teams like at the bottom or near the bottom 
or maybe punching above their weight right now that are really interesting to talk about. Um, you know, you have, if you just look at the standings right now, you have um, the Lakers obviously are 9 and 10 in ninth right. place. We just mentioned the Nuggets. I don't know how you feel about the Grizzlies. Um, the Timberwolves are fascinating at 8 and 9 with a net rating that I believe is fifth best in the conference right now, plus two. Yep. So, like, of the teams that I just mentioned, are you crossing any of them off, or would you say, Hell would you yeah. be stunned? Okay, no, go ahead. Tell me. Okay, let's let's just get right to it. The Lakers aren't going to finish as a four seed. They're not. I mean, we're, I mean, we're waiting for them to get LeBron back, who it's not for injury, but the suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to be healthy. I think it goes without saying that they're just not going to be. They've gotten really high-level play out of Carmelo Anthony, which was asking for a lot. Yes, they've got some upsides and reinforcements coming back. Horton Tucker just got back. They're going to get none back. I, but I think it goes without saying that with Anthony Davis, like it feels like playing Russian roulette with this man's body every time he's on the floor, um, that he's like a, a nick away from being out for the rest of the game, every game. And that's fine. I mean, like it's, I'm not trying to criticize him. It's just to say that the team is built in a really flimsy fashion from how old they are to like who their star players are. LeBron, who at this point is getting more and more brittle, which again is not. I'm not saying any of this to try to be critical or to sound mean. It's just the truth. I mean, the team is built around really old players, and in Davis's case, like fragile players. Um, so I don't think they're going to be healthy enough to do that. I, I just don't. Uh, so I, I'd be stunned if they finish four. Um, aside from the fact that they, the health questions about them, they also don't look particularly good whenever they're at full strength either. Um, mm-hmm. where they're struggling and it hurts to be you can be at full strength but like you're not at full strength for multiple games at a time so you have no cohesion for a team that is all relatively new still and you've got Avery Bradley out there who my god so they're not <laughs> going to be the four seed I, I think that their fan base would be thrilled to even be in that conversation right now because I think they probably know deep down they're not going to be four seed either so we can uh, we can throw them out right now if you want to um I don't realistically think that it will be the Grizzlies, but I could be wrong from one standpoint. The one upside for the Grizzlies, they've played a harder schedule than most teams have so far. So I think that bodes well for them. Um, you know, they played that schedule without Dylan Brooks for a big chunk of it. That bodes well for them. And, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been inconsistent uh, for, for most of the year. So that maybe bodes well for them if you think that he's going to turn it around. I don't know. That huge, win in, uh, huge win in Utah, I got to say. That was very impressive. They've had a number of really nice wins so far this season, which that that's probably the upside. Again, they've played more of these games against the top-level competition, but it's still impressive that they've come out and won them. So, I mean, I, I would be a little bit surprised if they finished that high, um, to be honest with you, but, I mean, there's a chance for it. I would give them way better odds of that than the Lakers. I'll put it that way. So, I don't think it will be them, but, like, I think there's an argument to be made. I don't feel great about Portland doing that either, Um their upside, obviously, is that Dame is playing better now because he couldn't have played any worse to begin the season. Um, Dame looks good. But I just, Dame looks very good. But I just think it's going to be tough. I mean, it's the same issue they've had for four or five out of the last five or six years. Um, their defense is horrendous, and so it kind of leaves them really naked if and when their offense starts to struggle or if Dame is out or if CJ cools down or any, any number of things. I, 
I just think that there's a little bit more balance to the other teams, even the Mavericks, who are not necessarily great defensively. I, I, I tend to think that if there's going to be a year where they do it and they finish in the top half of the conference, this might be it. Porzingis is finally starting to put it together. Can he stay healthy? I think is the biggest question, which I always will have a question about that. So for me, I would say the Clippers, to me, strike. And by the way, you mentioned the Timberwolves, which I didn't really respond to. I don't think they're going to finish top four. Is it realistic that they make the playoffs to play in? Um, they're really streaky, too, I mean, which is part of being a young team. What did they start? Three and one, and then we didn't hear from them for another two weeks, mm-hmm. and then they now all of a sudden have won, what is it, four in a row? So, you know, I don't feel great about them as a top four team. I think that they can make the playoffs or get in as a playing team or something like that. Um, but I, I, I think the Clippers, for me, just from a balance standpoint and from the standpoint that they also could have a reinforcement coming at some point, regardless of where they're seated, they have the best chance to do something serious out of those teams. And I could still see them finishing top four um, if they do better on offense than they've done so far. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with I want to start with the Timberwolves actually because okay. they're they're kind of I don't, I'm not like picking them to finish fourth or anything like that. Um, if you just look at the standings, they're in tenth place, which isn't great. But then you look at their net rating, as I mentioned, and they're playing way above that type of record. Um, they're 28th in win differential according to Cleaning the Glass. So their point differential suggests they should be 10 and seven or 11 and six. And That's their net massive, rating yeah. it is huge. And their net rating is third best in the entire league over the past two weeks, only behind the Warriors and the Suns. So they're playing really good basketball now. They have a ton of talent. I think maybe it's because they're in Minnesota, but like Anthony Edwards is, it's like kind of coming together for him offensively. Some um, of his stuff, man. My God. Some of his stuff from night to night is just like other He's world. so much fun. It's so much fun he's, to watch him. He's crazy good. Um, and he takes a lot of pull-up threes, and he's hitting them he at does. like a decent rate, actually, which is great. I mean, he's hitting – he's more accurate on pull-up threes than catch-and-shoot threes. And, you know, I think earlier in the season there was a big – issue with their crunch time offense and Carl Anthony Towns not getting the ball enough. They've they've kind of balanced it a little bit better towards him. He's still their best player. Um, the defense looks, um, at least statistically, much better than it's been in like either of our lifetimes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I I don't know what it is to like I was high on this team coming into the season because uh, of some of the pieces that they added you know, Patrick Beverly, I thought that was a really smart addition. And I, I, I just, I, it feels like they're kind of settling into something that's interesting. And I wonder if they'll also be aggressive at the trade deadline too. So even though they don't have a ton to deal. So it's, I, I don't know, like it, it wouldn't like, I feel more optimistic about the Timberwolves than I do the Lakers. And I promise, I promise, I promise, Ooh. I promise I'm not trolling with that statement. It's just, it's kind of how I feel right now after a quarter of the season. So There's I don't just know not much to feel good about, like from the Lakers standpoint, like even if record wise, you're like, it could be worse. That That's about all you could say right now. Uh, realistically, it, Again, maybe that we have another person coming back 
at some point. And obviously, LeBron, you're hoping to get him back in rhythm. But, that I mean, like, you knew that was going to be a problem with either him or Davis and probably part of why you got Russ. There's just not that much to look at and say, oh, we're, we're going to be fine or we're going to be much, much better once X happens. I just don't see that anywhere. You know, the conversation with the Lakers, and I wrote all these notes down for every team that we're going to talk about, and for the Lakers, mm-hmm. I just wrote the Lakers are a basketball team because I, <laughs> we've talked about them ad nauseum, and it's like the one thing that – I think we, we constantly say is that um, they really miss Alex Caruso, right? They really miss Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. The trade for Russ was a disaster. I feel like even if you just took like strictly Kyle Kuzma and you put him on the Lakers, like he's their third best player, isn't he? Like it's just, it's such a cataclysmic move that they made and nothing fits and I'm just not a huge Taylor Horton Tucker person either. Like, I don't, I never really got it, frankly. Um, so, yeah. And they're still starting DeAndre Jordan at the five. I just, it's, it's, it's something else. I, but I don't want to get too sidetracked here with the Lakers yep. discussion. Um, the, the Mavs just beat the Clippers, uh, last night in overtime in a very impressive win for them. Jalen Brunson went down with an ankle injury. He's been their second best player all year long. Um, Kristaps Porzingis, who you said, he's kind of the reason why you're a little bit skeptical, right? And he played great in that game. He's been solid for two, three weeks now. I mean, he has one of the best stretches we've seen from him since he's been in Dallas. He has, I, I guess like I'm skeptical. We talk about win differential. I was talking about that with the Timberwolves. Like it's kind of the flip for the Mavs. Like their right. record just is not indicative of how of their net rating. So I'm a little skeptical about them. I always kind of have been, and I I don't know. Like sell because I, I would also be kind of surprised if the Mavs finished um, finished fourth. I just I think there's there's a possibility there, but. Like, I like the Blazers more than them in this kind of conversation. Sure. I definitely like the Clippers. I'm not entirely sold on the Grizzlies yet, although, like, I don't know. I feel like their defense will come around a little bit eventually. Like, it can't be 30th in the league um, all season long. That's just not going to happen. And they have one of the most exciting, thrilling, um, just inventive players in basketball. So, can you just sell me on the Mavs? Like, tell me, what am I missing with this basketball team, I guess? I I think part of what you and I probably, neither one of us likes, is the style that they play with. Even when you just kind of heard Jason Kidd talking about it, you were kind of like, you know, like, it's just, it's it's not modern basketball, necessarily. Uh Part of what we've gotten used to with them and why I think it's gotten difficult to kind of pick them as the team that you feel like is really just going to tear the league up is that it, it, it turns into Luka versus everybody else, particularly when Porzingis is not playing well or when he just kind of shies away from the action where he just stands in a corner. Um, and, you know, you, you heard Kid talking all offseason about the idea that, like, he's going to be the unicorn again. He's going to go back to being a unicorn. This is unicorn remix. I guess he never said that. <laughs> And I'm glad he never said that um, because that sounds so corny. Anyway, uh, but there was a like a lot of Porzingis just, you know, banging around in the mid post, which he's never been particularly great at, um, 
you know, with guys smaller than him trying to defend him in the post. Porzingis, you know, I've written about this before, has the really low shot angle. Uh, for someone of his height, he got more shots blocked from mid-range than anybody else in the league over the course of a year or two, despite being the tallest player in the league. Um, so he he's convinced that he can make these shots because he makes just enough of them, but, like, they're still not efficient looks for him and then not the best looks for him. And that he's just has never been as great as you would expect with Luka. Kid kind of, I think he kind of promotes the inefficient style of play because he, I don't know if it's like that he wants to prove the Porzingis that he can do it, that he wants to instill the confidence that he could do it. And so there's a lot of offense sometimes that kind of looks that way, that is that way, that KP scores off of. And sometimes when he really has it going, the shot goes in a little bit more often than normal, but it's still not maybe the look you would want. And I think we we look at a whole a whole whole lot of that offense. Um so if if you know, if I'm selling you on something, maybe it's the idea that like you, me and other people that kind of view the game we do or like are paying too much attention to kind of that part of it, the idea that like it's not the most aesthetically pleasing thing. I would go further and say it's not just aesthetics. I think it's also that it's like you know, statistics show that that probably is not a way to win you a title. It may not even be your way to a four seed. Um, there are certain things that at some point kind of have to break differently. Like Finney Smith last year was was just killing it, you know, as, as one of their wing options that I think you're going to probably need more from him. I think that, you know, it's probably not realistic that Brunson will be what he's been so far all year. Hopefully he's not injured and out for too long. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, there are certain things like they're going to have to get more from the other two guys, from these two guys, from these two or three guys. You you need other guys to step up. I've been dying for Hardaway to become kind of more of a playmaker for people other than just himself. Um, you know, it probably won't be this year, but they they really, to me, I, I think we were talking about this a little bit the last podcast. Um, that to me, I think they need one more guy who can create a little bit more. It's not six feet tall. And Brunson, you know, like if it were Hardaway, it'd be great. I feel like it probably needs to be an outside guy. But I, I think for the, the main part, just to your question, I think that we're focused so much on how it looks. And the Porzingis offense sometimes is really not pretty when it's not just a straight pick and pop when you're trying to go into him and post him up. It doesn't look great. Uh, it's gotten them results enough of the time to where it's worked. But like you said, what you're looking at is the expected win differential like I think there's some stuff there and some writing on the wall there that they're probably not going to finish for, but there is a chance for it. Yeah, so the on-offs with Chris Stapps are really, really, really ugly. Um, they have a bottom five offense when he's on the floor, and I, I'm not smart enough to do the math in my head right now as I'm recording this with you, but a much better offense, uh, 8.6 <laughs> points per 100 possessions <laughs> better uh, when he's off the floor, according to cleaning the glass. So I think that that's just like what I'm seeing is reflective a little bit in the numbers. And despite the fact that Chris Depps gets individual numbers and is getting them mm-hmm. pretty great. And like every time he hits like a pick and pop three, it just looks it looks good and it looks clean, and we know that those get taken can get taken away against certain defenses. Right. Um, so I don't. I'm just not. I don't know. I really appreciate your pitch, but I'm just like I can't. It wasn't. Can't. It, it wasn't all a sell job. Like some of it was just no. Like, man, it wasn't. I don't trust. <laughs> I don't trust this either. But I think you you hit the nail on the head a lot more concisely than I did. Like a lot of their 
guys after Luca don't really create well for other people. Brunson can, um, but part of what makes Brunson or has made him so dangerous this year is like that he's looking for his own shot. He's not a super high assist guy either, Brunson. So I think that's what it is. Is like it still kind of resorts to being Luca and what can Luca get you at the end of the day because he's really the only guy that can threaten you as a passer as well. And I think that's a huge part of their problem. So are we both picking the Clippers? Is that the, the, the four seed team to just like answer this question? That I, Christine's I, giving I, us? I, I, I think so. I mean, I just, I, I feel a lot better about their ability to move the ball uh, with multiple guys that can do it. I feel a lot better about them defending than I do the other teams on this list, which I think that's part of what it comes down to. You know, so if you do go cold, Paul George goes cold for four games, which he might will at some point, then, you know, then you're you're not so reliant on that to where you know you're going to have a four-game losing streak because of it. Um, so I, you know, and, and not to mention that, um, that they fared better in the playoffs, you know, or at least last year it did. So I, I don't know. I feel a little bit better about their prospects of getting there than I do with the other teams. Yeah, I'm a big believer in their defense, too. Right now they're second in defensive rating in the Western Conference. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade. At the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. 
Okay, let's move on to an email from David, who writes, uh, Rohan, Mike, and Chris, please feel free to switch the order of the greeting as needed for trolling one another. I don't know if you listened to our last episode, Chris, real quick, but um, Rohan was bragging because his name was first in an email that was sent listing the three addressing the three of us and he thought that that was because he was the best and so i had to tell him that actually my name is first in most emails that come in so that is what david is referring to in case you are very confused and i just wanted to kind of set the 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 record straight with you that i am in fact the best you can actually be tied for best with me chris that's kind of what i think um but Rohan is definitely not the best. I just want to get that out there. Okay, wonderful. So I, uh, David writes, I- I'm writing with a question about Sixers guard Tyrese Maxey. I live in Philly, but decided to put my money toward League Pass. I'm a Cavs fan, and I want to enjoy every moment of Evan Mobley. So I can't watch the Sixers legally. Not that I'm bitter. Here's my question. How close is Maxey to what the Sixers hope to get from Markel Fultz? In other words, is there anything about Maxi's play that would make the Embiid-Simmons pairing more effective? Of course, you can also feel free to ditch this question and just talk about Evan Mobley. Love the show. Wishing you all good health and good times with your family and friends. Uh, Dave, thanks so much. That's a wonderful email, something I've been thinking about a lot. I think this hmm. is a fascinating question um, because in so many ways, Maxi has become the player that the Sixers needed for years (laughs) with Simmons and Embiid low-key. Like, that is what they thought they were getting with Fultz. And, you know, I don't think that... And I actually, I know that Tyrese Maxey is not as good as Jimmy Butler, but having a pick-and-roll ball handler and just another source of play creation in the offense to take some of the stress away from Simmons, particularly in the fourth quarter in crunch time, like, that is what they've, they've needed, that type of player, ever since Jimmy Butler left and ever since Markel Fultz was unable to become that type of talent. So I guess, like, what, what are your thoughts on – first of all, what are your thoughts on Maxi when you watch him? And uh, is this, like, for real or is this just a byproduct of, okay, here's a team that everybody's hurt, everybody's out with health and safety, due to health and safety protocols, whatever, and Beads hasn't played him forever, and he's just getting numbers. Like, what do you, or, or, like, what do you think about Tyrese Maxey right now? No, I, I think it's pretty real. I mean, I, I think that on some level, if, if he's capable of doing that, I think at some point stuff would show, uh, cracks would show a little bit, given how much he's had the ball, how many games he's been in a situation where he had to do this. Um I mean, it has to give you more confidence for what comes next, you know, obviously the rest of the season. And then the playoffs. I, I think the Fultz part of the question is one I really not had not considered. Uh, a lot of us bang on the Sixers so much about not taking Chris Stapps or not taking, um, you know, obviously the situation where they traded for Fultz and um, obviously the Celtics got Tatum. Um, and I, it got me to thinking, like, what are the differences even in terms of even if you had the most ideal version of Fultz, if he came in and he didn't have the yips or whatever he had, the, the shoulder issue or what, what was it, the, the technical term for the health issues, whatever. Even if that wasn't the problem, and I, I, I literally was going back this morning and looking at clips of Fultz in college, and I think the only thing that really stands out that's wholly different between he and Maxi 
you know, and what we're seeing from Maxi now, they're about the same height. You know, I think Fultz is maybe an inch taller. Um, Fultz was a little bit, he was more prevalent with the, with the trigger on pull up threes, I think is the one thing you see. Like Maxi basically, he relies on having like an advantage to get by, uh, where he got, he gets a screen and he's going to kind of speed past the screen to, to take a pull up jumper. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. think he takes as many pull up threes as Fultz was in college, but you know, okay. So Fultz, not every player is what they were in college either. So it's not to say that Fultz would have been able to do that at the pro level, but I mean, he's been efficient. He's been able to call his own number. He's had some plays where you look up and you're like, how the hell did he make that pass? Uh, he fits in with the defense that at full strength, relatively full strength, not with without Simmons, um, that you know can play his part defensively. It, it's really, really hard not to like him. And I guess what I would say with all this again is what I was saying a moment ago. There's not even a guarantee that Fultz would have been able to do this consistently. Um, so I mean, that's the next question: is can Maxi continue to do it? I guess all I would say is like I'm not completely sure what we've seen that suggests he can't do that. Um, he might be playing a little bit above his head but even if that's the case you would take that in a heartbeat um considering that draft picks are always a crapshoot um outside of really the top pick or two and as the sixers found out the hard way have found out the hard way a couple times now even when you've got one of those first couple picks you still could kind of botch it uh or something can go wrong so you have to be thrilled with maxi right now and it the, the question's brilliant i think because i don't know that you're seeing a ton of differences between what Maxi's been and what you were hoping that Fultz would be. Yeah, like if if you just plugged this version of Maxi into a lineup that was Maxi, Embiid, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, and Ben Simmons, with like I guess Seth Curry as your sixth man, George Niang is hitting everything. Matisse Thybul is an all defensive team defender. Like that's just that's a championship contender, right? That's a very don't forget strong Furkan. Wait, wait, contender. we going back. Don't forget Furkan. Okay, although Furkan, my man sure. is, although although the last <laughs> few weeks, uh, we we will use that caveat. But still, don't forget my man. Come on now. Apo- apologies to Furkan Korkmaz. Um, <laughs> so like that team is like extremely good, right? Like Maxi. He's had moments where you 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 were talking about this like he just has looked like a borderline all star like the the first step the he's like unstoppable on the drives like he's he's got this tremendous touch around the basket he's got tremendous floater he never turns the ball over which is one of his most impressive attributes right now I think he makes a lot of high level reads despite being just six two um and like yeah he's just what this team has been has needed forever to kind of alleviate some of the the stress from the Ben Simmons Joel Embiid relationship the, the the dysfunction that's within that partnership. So like, yeah, it's just it's 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 I, I tease this at the top as like a silver lining, but it's like more like a painful irony, I guess. So it's like the exact opposite. So apologies to uh, to Sixers fans. But I guess like just having Maxi work and click is that's just tremendous for your organization going forward. And I think it also this is a separate question, but like it totally changes, in my opinion, what Daryl Morey should be willing to get back for Simmons when slash if they do trade him. I should say when when they trade him, like 
Because if Maxi, this is only year two. If Maxi makes a third year leap, like, what, what are we even talking about? That's like a borderline, if not someone knocking on the door of an all star appearance. Like, I don't know. I, I just, I think this is a fascinating development that more people should be talking about. It, it, it still just really frustrates me that Simmons is on this team, if we're being honest. I mean, I, I get that you don't want to trade him at his lowest value point. What are you realistically expecting that's going to lift this man's value at this point? Like, what are you waiting on? Um, it's very clear it's just going to be a nasty he said, he said about everything from last year's playoffs to Ben Simmons' mental state and everything else and Ben Simmons having cell phones in his pocket at practice and everything else. And meanwhile, you've got Maxi playing the way he is. You had Seth Curry shooting the way he was. You know, it, you had a team that up until a week and a half ago or whatever it was, was in first place in this conference playing above their heads uh, for a team that I, I said all along I thought would still be pretty good if they if Embiid were healthy. Um, you still have a team that could potentially be a championship contender if you trade Simmons for the right pieces. Doesn't mean, you know, the, the Sixers have been so focused on getting a star when, quite frankly, everybody that they kept trying to add as one wasn't fitting for some reason. Butler, I guess, being the one exception to that. But if there were some clashes within that system as well, just as far as Butler and Brett Brown or Butler and maybe the dynamic between Embiid and, and Simmons or whatever, it it just hasn't worked. But that's part of what may not work is the personality that you bring in to replace Simmons too. Just go get talent for the man. I mean, <laughs> I, for years I've always said that I think one of Daryl Morey's biggest pitfalls is that he doesn't take into consideration the emotion and like the the attitudes and the personalities of the players we've Mm -hmm. seen it repeatedly with houston uh where he just would swap guys out that had a really big reputation for the moment uh jeremy lynn was there dwight howard was there um obviously harden and chris paul and russell westbrook and it just kind of becomes this this you know, this roller coaster of like, we're going to swap this in, swap this out. And it's not the way that business is normally done in the NBA for guys of that caliber of that name recognition. Uh, so now the irony is that when you've got a guy that like is talented and everyone knows is talented, that you know you could get some talent back for him. Maybe not Damian Lillard, certainly not Bradley Beal while his team is sniffing for first place, but like something, somebody, decent talent. And the idea that you're potentially holding that up or you're at least partly responsible for holding that up when you've got a team that I don't really know what their ceiling would be if they hit on the right rotation guys, but I imagine it would be higher than what they are right now, which was good until they had everybody out of their rotation. It, it really actually frustrates me because it, it doesn't have to be the case and the team is just kind of trying to stay above water for now when they have the potential to contend for the conference, I think, if you get the right rotation guys especially with Maxi playing this way. Yeah, I mean, like, I was really kind of surprised when I saw that there was a uh, a report linking Simmons and the Sixers to the Pistons for Jeremy Grant. And, like, I think it was, like, Grant, Sadiq Bey, who, who, whoever else was in that rumor. And I think it was denied by the Pistons that any of those guys would be on the table, which is kind of funny. But... 
and I'm not saying the Pistons should definitely make a trade like that, but like just add Jeremy Grant to this situation, and it's just like a better basketball team and potentially a contender, if not definitely a contender. Given like I'll put a pin in this conversation by just saying like Maxi. I was looking this up last night. Maxi is one of the most efficient pick and roll ball handers in the league this year. That's exactly the 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 quality that they've needed as a team, particularly in the postseason. And he's finished more possessions as a pick-and-roll ball handler than Chris Paul, James Harden, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander this year. Like, wow. he, he is for real. He is for real. He's getting better. Super young. Sophomore season. Add talent. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just such a waste to, to wait this one out. Um, in that same article, like, James Harden was also mentioned as a possible trade partner. I just, it's just like, mm-hmm. come on. Just stop. Can we just stop? Like, take Jeremy Grant. Be happy. It would be wonderful. You'd be a very good team. Your offense is top five. Just, I don't know. That's Now I'm getting very frustrated. Um, I am. But I felt like this. You, you There was one time, and I'll, I'll let it go after this. There was one time we were doing, like, you did an outline for one of these. And I was like, can we please not talk about Simmons this week? Because, like, he was on the outline. And I'm like, <laughs> we're going to have so many opportunities to talk about him. But part of the reason I actually don't want to talk about it is that I get frustrated because I've, from the day that we had the podcast about the Christmas matchups, I've been frustrated at how relatively whole I felt like the Sixers could be without Simmons. And they've essentially shown that where their their record is okay, even without him and Embiid, which I get that that would not last over a whole season. But with Embiid back and with Embiid playing presumably much better than he did up until the COVID stuff. Um, you know, assuming that he would play a lot better and play like a star again, that they will be fine. If you get the right guys to plug Simmons with, that means actually doing your job. Like, that's kind of what I'm saying is like, do your job, go trade the man, get talented <laughs> players back for him, which is your job anyway, and go win games. And that that's the frustrating part is that, you know, they're capable of it. They just, this feud is just really childish at a certain point. Stupid. But anyway, neither here nor there. What, what you got next for us? It's a- <laughs> I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. So we have this email from Harvey, which is a wonderful question. He writes, uh, Dear Michael, Rohan, and Chris, I enjoy your podcasts very much. Your extensive knowledge, together with your camaraderie and humor, put your podcast at the top. Now to my questions. Among the current great players, who is the most coachable? On the flip side... Who is the least coachable? Who bounces from team to team? Who demands the ball continuously? Who demands coaches be changed? Who demands other players be traded? I look forward to your always knowledgeable comments, Harvey. Uh, Harvey, wonderful question. I uh, look in terms of most coachable, like it just Steph Curry popped into my head. Yep, just not hard, not not complicated. Yep. Uh, he personifies coachable he's the most selfless super one of the most selfless superstars of all time given everything that went 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 on with with kevin durant coming there and him like imagine winning two mvps in a row um a unanimous mvp and then accepting a player who is maybe better than you onto your team that you basically that's built around you um, that takes a lot of humility, and I think humility comes in line with being coachable. So Steph is like just easily number one here. Um, it's the first name I, I assume put that. Yeah, I assume you had this. Did, did anyone else come to mind for you? Yeah, yeah, actually, um, you mentioned two MVPs. Giannis was the other name that came to mind for me mm. um, as, yes, as a guy true. who uh, won two MVPs and then not his own doing and I think needed to be done but still you know I could have imagined that it was frustrating for him to some extent uh they changed the offense in Milwaukee that he had just won two MVPs in um you know I think they needed to to try to get over the hump uh to try to be a better playoff team um they went and I guess moved the roster around they they obviously got Drew Holiday but botched (laughs) the you know the the stuff with uh Boyan Bogdanovich or Bogdan Bogdanovich. So I, 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 to me, you know, it was interesting that I was thinking, oh, wow, they really botched that. 
embarrassing. You know, they're going to get hit with the tampering fine, whatever else. Giannis signed his super max like the day after that or like that week. Mm-hmm. So it would like he didn't care about. I mean, obviously didn't care so much to where it became a, a sticking point for him or anything. He just did that, kind of went to work, didn't ever complain about the fact that the offense was making him look a little bit more deficient in some ways or less efficient in some ways. Hasn't ever even suggested that he cares about the fact that Chris Middleton is going to be there and be the guy that can take the last shots. Hasn't ever complained about any of that stuff. Hasn't ever thrown Bud under the bus for anything. He always kind of is is very much like, well – you know, he got called out a lot for not taking Kevin Durant um, defensively when Kevin Durant was just kind of owning the Bucks, And he was like, look, I'm going to do whatever Coach Bud tells me to do. Maybe that is throwing him under the bus. I didn't take it that way. But, um, but just <laughs> and the, the, the idea. Same thing happened, the same thing happened in the bubble with Jimmy Butler, right? Jimmy Butler, like, too. Yeah. Yeah. But same he, exact scenario. But, I, but something about Giannis, when he says that, I don't in any way take it as him throwing Boot holes are under the bus. I take it as him saying, like, I'm going to do exactly what my coach tells me to do. Um, so when you talk about coachability, um, I mean, he absolutely comes to mind. Not to mention that at the beginning of his career, he had someone coaching him and Jason Kidd, who I guess not the very beginning of his career, but, uh, you know, at the front end of his career, Jason Kidd essentially telling him, do not take threes, which he was – go back and look at the man's rookie year before Jason Kidd coached him. He shot threes – at a better clip and was making more of them than he does now. Um, so, I mean, he wasn't like a broken shooter uh, from that distance. You could make the argument that it actually set him back. I think it would be a pretty fair argument to make that it set him back or kind of put him more inside his head about shooting, but he still did it and obviously became an MVP despite that. Or maybe in part because of it, Jason did also to, to give him – Full credit, Jason Kidd also put the ball in his hands a lot more and said, we want you to be our playmaker. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's pros and cons from it. But my point is to say that he's been willing to take on those challenges. He's been willing to just kind of listen, maybe even at times where it might not have been the best thing for him with every single step. He did it, and he always is willing to kind of acknowledge where those ideas came from and why he was willing to take the advice. So I would put Giannis on the list, but I would say Steph, given the KD thing um, – I would put Steph at, at the top and not think twice about it. Yeah, Steph is the Tim Duncan of his era in this regard, absolutely. So for flipping this question on its head and talking about the least coachable guys, I mean, like, we should be clear these are not bad. Like, being not coachable does not mean you are bad. You're not a bad person. <laughs> I just want to get that out of out in front here. Um I have a few names and, you know, I think a lot, it's a complicated question because a lot goes into the relationship between a star or a great player and the coach that we just will never be privy to as media members, as people who observe from the outside. There's just stuff that we'll never know. Um, the So two players who first came to mind for me, um, one is Ben Simmons and I say that because I remember when Brett Brown was publicly, it, yeah. through the media, begging him to shoot threes. He's like, I think the quote was like, I want Ben to take one three a game. And Ben Simmons just didn't, he just never shot threes for reasons that are, I think right now, kind of clear in the sense that 
he just doesn't want to embarrass himself. And he believes that shooting is damaging to the team as opposed to um, a step towards making your team even more potent. And Brett Brown was unable to get through to him in that regard. Uh, Doc Rivers, who is well-reputed in his ability to communicate to players and relate to players, was unable to get through to him with that, clearly. So I just I think that Ben Simmons is an unbelievable talent. I think with this in this specific context, he's just he's just difficult to coach, and that's just it's hard to argue against that. Yeah, I don't think you could argue against that at all. And certainly, this goes back to I think the biggest critique, question, whatever you'd want to call it anyway, about Simmons to begin with is that normally guys that normally guys that you're having this conversation about are more talented even than Simmons is. So it's not just that he's potentially not the most coachable it's that normally the guys that are less coachable than him are like multiple time all nba guys where ben simmons is like you know he, he might be one of the 30 most talented players in the league but again i don't know that anybody wants to build their whole franchise around him like you do that and it's going to be a team that is really top heavy in one respect and really you're really bottom heavy in another um and so it, I, I just don't know that like he's so good to be less coachable than all these other guys. So that's what makes him interesting, and, and where I you know like I I'm not even gonna try to I, I will say the name, but this is a name that comes to mind for me is LeBron. I think everybody would say he's coachable, but I do think that there's an inherent pressure that comes with the idea of coaching one of his teams that like if you don't win as much as you're expected to. In some cases, winning a title. I still remember um, David Blatt being fired when he was in first place. Um, mm-hmm. That's still like a kind of a mind blowing one for me. But they did win after that, so you know that sort of thing. But like that, there's something to be said for that. We're just kind of openly disagreeing with with certain things, even times where it might. This is also not to say that LeBron doesn't know what he's doing. There was one time where uh, I remember. Was it that LeBron would – I mean, it's been reported at this point. I think Windhorse and other people have reported like, that he kind of would override David Blatt as far as like last-second plays and the idea that like LeBron was going to be the one to take it out. He didn't want to be the one to take it out. He wants to be the one to catch it so that he could make a play in a last-second situation. The idea that Ty Lue, you know, overrode David Blatt to not call timeout in a situation in that Bulls series several years back because it would have – resulted in a technical foul and then right. the idea that LeBron wants Ty Lue essentially to be the coach so like it's not to say that it makes LeBron an asshole it's not to say that LeBron's wrong because if that's what LeBron sees as best and he's the best player in the world I think most people can understand that but between that between the idea of like him taking it upon himself to call out teammates whereas you know normally you don't see that normally a coach does that if anybody with the idea of saying you know the idea of fitting in and fitting out the whole Kevin Love thing, uh, you know, and just kind of their mind games that LeBron would play every now and then that kind of felt more like what Phil Jackson was doing. So it's not to say that like LeBron can't be coached, but you know, if we want to go one step further, um, I think it's been out there that it was pretty clear that um, I think it was pretty clear that didn't LeBron want, was it that he wanted Riley to, to come down and coach the team? Uh, shortly after Spolstra I'm not making that up am I there was that's been reported somewhere 
No, I believe that's that's been reported. Um, it was when they were like 500 after, what are they, like 17 or games something like or something that? like that. Yeah, something like yeah. that, like 18, 19 games. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's, you know, whether it was that Riley, that he wanted Riley to come down or that he just didn't want Spo to be the guy, you know, that there have been times where LeBron's not patient. And I there is part of me that when I look at stuff like that, I do wonder a little bit, like, even if LeBron did have a lot of input here and it was his idea, I think the Lakers still deserve criticism for the idea of, like, Russ. You know, like, if, if that was something LeBron wanted, it's not coaching necessarily. It's not, like, whether Vogel finds him to be coachable. It's just kind of like LeBron. I think it's well established that LeBron has had way more of a say and get, get, got way more of a say in a lot of these decisions or wanted a lot more of a say or made it known that he wanted something in a way that goes beyond even what a coach would be able to suggest sometimes. So that that's what I mean by it. I don't mean that he's difficult to work with for coaches, but absolutely it turns up the, you know, the temperature on coaches, I'm sure, just by LeBron being LeBron and who he is. Yeah, there was that instance during game 7 of the 2016 finals though, where Ty Lue actually and it was famous because Ty Lue challenged LeBron at halftime in front of the entire team and that it, I, I don't know how many coaches have ever challenged LeBron James in that way, um, like Ty Lue did. Our producer Shelby writes in um, right now into our little chat box here, Latrell Sprewell, which I thought was just a fantastic <laughs> suggestion by I was Shelby. I really hard not to laugh when he, when he typed that. <laughs> Good Lord. So I, I, to, I can imagine that he might be the least coachable. Uh, yeah. Had to mention that one. Yes. Um, I think just generally coaching superstars is really tough. And yeah. I, I wonder staying on with the Lakers for two seconds. Like, where do you put – we'll keep this brief because we have one more question we want to get to here. But Anthony Davis, just like – I don't think Frank Vogel's stupid. Like, I think Frank Vogel knows he has to play Anthony Davis at the five. But Anthony Davis doesn't play the five. So how do you – like, what is that all about in terms of this context of being coachable? If the co- I don't know if Frank Vogel's ever sp- – I don't they, – they've – like, before the season, that was kind of – everyone's – it seemed like everyone was on the same page with that, too, that he was going to play the five. And yeah. so it's not like those convers- – those conversations had to have happened – and he's not playing the five, and they're terrible. So, so I'm going to c- come up with an analogy. It'll be real stupid, but I'm going to say it. Anyway. Oh, I can't wait. Like, it reminds me a lot of when you're a kid, and your parents tell you you have to go in the bedroom and sleep with the light off. You're like, but I don't want to because something might I, – I, I don't make me do it. And eventually you turn the light off, and then you fall asleep, and you're fine. That's kind of what this feels like. Anthony Davis has not wanted to play the five for years, going back to the New Orleans years. I mean, it's very, very clear he's never wanted to do that. The The only time where there wasn't really a conversation about it that I can remember was when he played really briefly with Boogie because it was like, okay, both of y'all are going to play, so it's not really a question of whether you need to play up a position, down a position. I mean, he's like a center in today's NBA. It's very clear. It's better for him offensively, no question. I I think, because I remember dealing with this a lot when I covered Carmelo in New York, Carmelo didn't really want to play the four. 
And right. he, like, if you asked him directly, he wouldn't straight deny it that he, you know, the, that that was a thing. And he's like, I'm willing to play wherever. But like, he really didn't want to. And the people in the organization would tell you that Carmelo would talk about how difficult it was to have to play against um, guys like Zach Randolph. So it, I will say this, and, and Davis's credit to Davis's credit for for how fragile he is, and I was just mentioning that about 15, 20 minutes ago on the podcast. If there's something to be said for the toll that that maybe takes on your body defensively, that maybe we can't appreciate as people watching the game, as people analyzing the game, then so be it. Like I don't, you know, particularly for how often he gets hurt, there may be some truth to that. Um, and so I, you know, who am I to tell someone that, you know, that that might not be the best thing for their body. I will tell you this, the way that team is built, they're not going to have much of a chance without him playing the five. So it might be a form of sacrifice that maybe he's just not comfortable with. But again, the longer view of it is that Anthony Davis has never wanted to play the five. So if it's specific to this year, fine. But I don't know. It's interesting. Cause like, to me, it's not quite a coachability question there. Um, but also part of that is like, he's always been that way. So maybe it is, and maybe we should view it that way. But yeah, I mean that, that obviously was always going to be one of the bigger questions for the Lakers. And even with all that evidence still really doesn't want to play down there. And it's very clear. He doesn't. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. So let's close here with this email from Michael, who writes, Hello, Rohan, Chris, and Michael. Please settle this question. My brother and I are debating what Michael's greatest troll is. And when I say Michael there, I am talking about myself. Is it picking KG as the greatest one-on-one player of all time? Or is it trying to trade LeBron for Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, and Matisse Thibel? Please answer this debate. Um, Chris, I cannot answer this question because I do not think I am uh, trolling with either of these opinions. That's for the record. what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> what I, I don't. I, I know you well enough to know that neither one of these were trolls. Um, and I certainly, I mean, like I remember us debating the first one when you and I were podcasting. So, like, you took me to me a troll is like you say something and then when you ask them for an explanation or a why that they don't have anything to say. Really, they were just literally just trying to tweak you. What I appreciate about you, and it'd probably not be Rohan's favorite thing to hear, um, <laughs> is that when you say this stuff, you have like legitimate basis for what you're saying. The KG thing made sense to me. It's probably not the direction I would have gone in. But also, if I have a hard time responding to you to say why that's dumb or bad or silly, you know, like KG is not who I would take. But also, when you laid out your reasoning, I was like, ah. So I will say for the sake of the question, the second one, I don't think it's more of a troll, but it's the one that I have a harder time buying with all the questions we're having about Simmons and the fact that like Maxi does seem like a very sure thing, but you know, crazier things have happened. Some guys regress in a third year. Um, and Thibault is still a guy that doesn't score very much great defender, but you know, may never be a guy that is even an average scorer in the NBA. Who knows? It's early. Um, so yeah, that, that idea is crazier to me than the first, but I, I see where your head was for both questions or for both ideas. And uh, thank goodness, in all seriousness, thank goodness that we have people that think that way, that think outside the box. Um, I always say that my answers sometimes are a little bit boring just because, you know, I think they're thought through, but I think sometimes they're boring and they're just more rational. Uh, sometimes being irrational, but having those thoughts and raising those questions actually makes you think a little bit. And you're like, you know what? Yeah, KG would be really hard to play one-on-one because this dude would get in everybody's head. And was also like a top 25, 30 player of all time who had a different skill set than just about everybody. So it doesn't make it crazy. It makes it different. So I just want to say real quick, um, the context of the LeBron for Ben Simmons trade was like, if he is in this decline and it looks like the Lakers are 100% not going to win the championship and um, their future is just on fire and they don't want to waste Anthony Davis's prime the rest of it that was like the context of that that trade right there so I just want to be on the record there with that I do not think that the Lakers would just like trade LeBron for Ben Simmons Tyrese Maxey Matisse Thibel tomorrow and like think that they're better like that's just I'm not an idiot like I know LeBron is terrific let them get another 10 games (laughs) and then we'll and then you'll be able to do that because like like we said the four seed already looks real unlikely I mean, we could talk about the championship, but I think you and I both know which direction we'd lean in that. It's not completely out of the question, but it certainly does not look likely. And I don't see any way – I don't even know what deal you swing to make it look likely this season. I just don't. Exactly. Um, That's exactly know, so, that was I mean, my point. So the, your context I, is well taken, but at the same time, I'm like, 
the context kind of feels like relevant <laughs> context right now. So anyway, yeah, I hear you though. I hear you. Well, I think we should we should wrap it up there, Chris. Uh, this was a very fun episode. Thank you so much to you. Thank you so much to all of our loyal listeners. Um, please keep the emails coming in the days and weeks ahead. Openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. You guys have been so wonderful. Um, I am thankful for the Open Floor Globe in the spirit of Thanksgiving. Uh, the emails, um, the feedback, it's always so nice and warms my heart. So thank you to you guys. Everybody, please uh, stay safe. Everybody, please continue to enjoy the NBA season. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.